Let us pray. Eternal God, whose word silences the shouts of the mighty, quiet within us every voice but your own. Speak to us through Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may receive your grace to show Christ's love in lives given to your service. Amen. Please be seated. As all of us might know, Palm Sunday is typically a time of festal gathering, palm branches and bright music and exuberance spilling out of pews into aisles. Perhaps you are missing these celebrations today, as am I. Palm Sunday's most years is a celebratory day for churches all around the world. After all, most of our scriptural stories are actually small, more intimate affairs. The birth of Jesus happens between a handful of villagers on a hillside. The resurrection of Jesus is discovered when three women have an earth-shaking encounter in a tomb. But Palm Sunday and Pentecost are different. Both of these liturgical days have always been about the whole family of Jesus' followers coming together with shouts and celebration. Here in the text, we are told that a very large crowd has gathered. People spread cloaks on the ground, they shout, they wave branches. They definitely do not keep at least six feet from each other. We might have read this text dozens of times, but it probably sounds very different to our socially distanced ears today. We might feel a little bit uneasy about the visual of teeming crowds in a busy street. This story might sound a little more concerning, a little more dangerous than usual. And actually, our unease is not inaccurate. As one scholar writes, such a gathering in Jerusalem at such a time would have been filled with a dense sense of danger. In the first century CE, Jerusalem was central to cultural and political and religious life in the region. During Passover, the city streets would have swelled with pilgrims and vendors and soldiers. Authorities would have been on high alert. The occupying Roman army would have been ready to swiftly deal with any disturbance. Temple power players would have been worried that any bit of trouble might topple a tentative status quo. When Jesus enters the city in this story, he is inviting more than a little bit of trouble. He chooses to ride a donkey and a colt, which is a direct reenactment of Zechariah's prophecy about the arrival of a king. He enters over Passover when the city is at its busiest and the soldiers are at their greatest strength. People shout exuberantly, Hosanna, save us, which might sound joyful, but which is a cry interlaced with hope and despair at the same time. Hosanna, save us from what we are experiencing now. When Jesus rides into this city, in this way, at this time, accompanied by these cheers, he is striking a match next to an emotional, religious, and political powder keg.
This large crowd that we celebrate typically on Palm Sunday is not a cheerful party. This gathering is not the beginning of Christ's public celebrations. It is the end of them. Palm Sunday is the last time large crowds will show up expecting Jesus, this healer from Galilee, to entertain them with some good teachings. After today, things are going to change. This Jesus will refuse to keep up the spectacle. He will cease to keep us entertained. His words and acts will not distract us from the abiding oppressions of the day, but rather plunge us deeper into them. We who shout Hosanna will soon find our calls curdling into a different sort of cry, a call for conviction and crucifixion. Jesus is not going to stay the leader of our rally for very long. No matter how much we want to wave palms and cheer with abandon, no matter how much we want to put aside all the pains of the world for a little while, no matter how much we want to lose ourselves in a celebratory crowd, Jesus will not let us. Jesus will not let us get comfortable and cozy. Jesus keeps leading us onward. This week is the start of Holy Week. This week, Jesus leads us beyond the crowds. He takes us past the cheers. This week, Jesus is going to take us to places we would rather not see then and now. We who are singing Hosanna will soon be led into some dark corners and hellish hallways, forced to face every bloody gash in the fabric of our faith and our world. This year, perhaps we are being more prepared than usual to see beyond the cheers and the spectacle. With the COVID-19 crisis gripping our communities, we are already being forced to confront a reality that we cannot control or command. Some of us are more vulnerable, more exposed than others. Some of us have very few resources to make it through this time. And let me be clear, this virus is not here to teach us anything. It's not been sent to give us any epiphany. It is not here for a sermon illustration. This virus is a naturally occurring event that is wreaking havoc on our communities and systems and pouring grief into our lives. And yet, right now, perhaps in this moment, we are being shown some truths about ourselves, about our world, which we have been a bit too busy to notice in the past. In this season of life and liturgy, perhaps we are being prepared to glimpse some places and people that we would rather avoid. Right now, no matter who we are, no matter where we are from, no matter how much we own, all of us are being forced to face our finitude, our failings, and our interconnected vulnerability. Right now, we are being forced to discover who is actually essential to the underpinning of our society and working world. 
Right now, we are being forced to experience the exposed nerves of our communities, confront the crumbling of our social safety nets. We are being forced to stare at some things that we can usually avoid in the mess and cheers and busyness of the crowd. Jesus Christ is going to lead us onward. And perhaps this year, more than many others, we will not be able to shut our eyes to what God wants to show us. Perhaps we will be more prepared to see where Jesus is going. There are many dark and wounded spaces in our world, places where we conveniently hide away any people or pains that we would rather avoid. In Holy Week, we discover that God sees these hidden spaces clearly and fully. In Holy Week, we discover that God is living and dying in these places with these people. This week, Jesus Christ is leading us onward. He will show us what despair sounds like in the Garden of Gethsemane, what injustice looks like in the courtyard of Pilate. Jesus is going to show us what isolation feels like in a jail cell when you are waiting for sentencing after all your friends have fled. Jesus is going to show us how it is to walk through moments when nobody on earth can understand the weight in your heart or the grief in your gut. This week, Jesus is going to take us up into the splinters of a criminal's cross and down, down, down into the entombed darkness of a stone-bound death. Jesus, our Christ, is going to take us to some painful limits of life. And when we open our eyes and we realize where we are, we will discover that Christ has been with us every step of the way. I wonder where Jesus is leading you this week. I wonder what hidden spaces of your heart, of your faith, of your life, you are being shown. I wonder what often avoided people and places of our world we are all being forced to notice at last. I wonder where Jesus is leading us this week. Recently, I read the story of a family of Wang Dean Nguyen in the Seattle Times. Nguyen was a 72-year-old man stricken by COVID-19. In his 72 years, he survived an escape from Vietnam, time in a refugee camp in Indonesia, immigration to the United States, and after that, two strokes and cancer. He settled down and married and raised a family of seven sons and daughters here. A few weeks ago, his family was stunned to find out that he was going downhill very quickly with this new illness. Here is what journalist Nina Shapiro wrote for the Times about Nguyen's final hours. The cars streamed into the hospital parking lot close to midnight as the family of Huang Dinh Nguyen rushed to say goodbye. 
There in the parking lot, some stood in a circle, spreading out to maintain social distancing. Others, like Sun Viet, were self-isolating because his husband was showing possible symptoms. So Viet popped his head out of his sunroof. Father Dao led the family in prayer. And then Father Dao, Nguyen's wife Tai, and their daughter Crystal went inside. Nguyen was being tended by a nurse that the family called Nurse Judy. Nurse Judy was wearing a mask below her glasses, protective head covering gloves, and a yellow gown that covered her from neck to shins to wrist. Crystal describes Nurse Judy as fearless. When the family arrived in the hallway of the ICU and looked through the window to Nguyen's bed, Tai thought her husband had passed away already. His skin was so discolored, but he was still breathing on the ventilator. Then following the family's decision that they had made together, knowing that Nguyen was not going to get better, the respiratory therapist came and removed Nguyen from the ventilator. Crystal used a walkie-talkie to talk to her dad. Daddy, wake up, she said. His eyes remained closed, but she saw his chest move. Crystal connected to those in the parking lot by video group chat with her phone, and she held it so they could all see Nguyen. We love you, Daddy, they called out as Crystal broadcast their voices through the walkie-talkie. Neither Father Dao nor a hospital chaplain could get into the room to deliver last rites. So in that isolated hospital room, in those moments, Nurse Judy took on an extraordinary role. She dipped a Q-tip into oil brought by one of the priests, and she made a cross on Nguyen's forehead and hand. The priest called out instructions and recited prayers through the walkie-talkie. Inside the room, Nurse Judy gestured to Nguyen's wife, Tai, to press her hand against the window. And then the nurse held up her own hand to meet it on the other side of the glass, and she put her other hand on one of Nguyen's feet, connecting husband and wife. When death came, Crystal said her dad knew everyone was there that the coronavirus that is isolating everyone was not going to stop my mom or me or my siblings from being with him at the very end. We cannot distract ourselves right now. We cannot cheer away our fear. We cannot work our way out of our vulnerability. We are being confronted by our creatureliness, our finitude, and our frailty, as well as by our interconnected need for each other. We are realizing that when we want to stay cocooned in comfort, Jesus Christ is trying to lead us onward. Onward to a hospital room where we see a family using all of their resources to share all of their love with their father. Onward to a hospital bedside where an overworked nurse still finds the strength to stretch out her arms and use her whole being to reveal that even in isolation, we are more bound to each other 
than we know. Jesus is leading us onward, onward to a cross where Jesus himself will bear in his body the revelation that nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is leading us onward, onward to a place where death is real, death is painful, but death will not have the final word. In this season, we are being shown places and people that we would rather avoid. Perhaps this will be the moment when we finally realize that in all these hidden places, with all of these overlooked people, God has been dwelling. God has been there, dying and living for a long, long, long time. Jesus, our Christ, is leading us onward. He has something to show us. And we will never be the same. Amen.